Hello, you're listening to Yarns from the Plain, a podcast for knitters, crocheters, and anyone who loves to play with yarn. episode 40 of Yarns from the Plain. Today is Tuesday the 14th of February and I'm actually out and about today. We're recording the podcast out and about. I'm trying some ideas that may or may not work. Um, However, I'm going to do episode 40 as a standalone episode and then we'll see what happens with anything else that I might manage to capture today. Apologies for the background noise. Um, I'm currently in a coffee shop waiting for a train but there's no platform waiting room at the, uh, on the platform so I've decided that rather than actually go down there and get a bit cold I'm going to stay in here and have a nice cup of coffee and a chocolate twist however even though I've got myself tucked in the corner furthest away from the children there seem to be the shrillest children in the world in this coffee shop so if you hear this it's only because I've deemed that the background noise is not actually so hideous to mankind that no one can bear it so, episode 40, my ruby ep- episode, which actually is quite fitting, I think, because of what I've got on the needles at the moment. I last recorded on the morning of Saturday the 4th of February, and I was due to go down to Oxford on the Saturday afternoon and then into London on the Sunday to see the Leonardo exhibition. Those of you who follow me on Twitter or who also listen to Kate Nesgraf Collective and follow over on her Ravelry group will have noticed that I was around on Rav and on Twitter far more than I ought to have been, bearing in mind I was due to be busy. And therefore you will have deduced that I was indeed thwarted by the weather. And we ended up not making the trip down. Um, just as I get older, my survival streak gets stronger and stronger and stronger. And I just think that however much I might desperately want to do something, um, going out in a severe weather warning really isn't that good an idea. So we didn't do go. So to console myself, I actually sat down and cast on a damson shawl by Isolde Teague to join in with the damson knit-along that Louise over at Caithness Craft Collective is running. Now, Damson is one of his oldest designs that, again, look sort of deceptively simple. I mean, most of it appears to be a garter-stitched section, so how hard can that be? But like many his older patterns that I've tried, the simple isn't always as easy to execute as you think it's going to be. Um, it's a shaped shawl. It's not triangular. It's got a a flat sort of section that's a bit based on a triangle and then two longer wings that come over um, so that it actually drapes over your shoulders more. It's not quite a delta shape, but it's a little more like that. And she achieves some of the shaping on that by having yarn overs between the main garter stitch body and the garter edging on not only the right side rows, but the wrong side rows. Now, she did that trick on Ishbel as well. Um, but because that was stocking stitch, that's what ends up with the slightly misshapen yarn overs in that because you're positioning when you're moving from a knit to a purl stitch and then from a purl to a knit stitch at the other end are not quite the same. So you end up wrapping slightly more yarn on one of them than you do on the other. We don't have this problem with the um, garter body of the damson, but it's still 
easy for you to miscount, which I know sounds really stupid. It's garter stitch. It's garter stitch. How difficult can it be? But, you know, there were a couple of points where I cocked up a bit, um, missed a yarn over, or put an extra one in for some reason. Um, so you have to keep an eye on the yarn overs gathering around the two different spines around the central triangular portion. There's then a very simple um, lace section that is simply travelling yarn overs and a double decrease in the middle. Um, so there's no fancy pants lace work at all. So I thought that the ideal thing to cast that on with would be the Carezza, I think that's how I say it, or Carezza, um, that I bought in Art Fibres in San Francisco back last summer. It's colour number 19, which is sort of reds and oranges and damson colours. Um, and it's variegated and subtle, but enough of it to be noticeable. So the garter stitch section looks absolutely gorgeous on it. It's 30% silk, 30% alpaca, and 40% extra fine merino. And it just feels divine. I am so in love with this yarn. It's a two-ply, and it's not very tightly plied, so you do have to watch what you're doing when you're knitting with it, that you don't separate the two plies with your needle point. Um, and because it's got the silk and the baby alpaca and there's that slight halo, it's easy to split the ply as well. So split the individual singles as well as split between the two plies. So you do have to watch out for it. It's not 100% mindless in front of the TV knitting. Um, when you've got a sharp needle, you've got to make sure that you're not separating anything out and making a, a fluff with a bit of a thread. But it's absolutely gorgeous. Now, Damson needs 440 yards of yarn. It's recommended, I think, with Malabrigo sock yarn. I think that's right. And I only have 400 yards of this Carreza. And everyone who's made Damson says that if you make it with the to the, the size and the... Um, dimensions and everything else then you need every last yard of it um, so what I've decided to do having looked at various options some people have stopped a few rows early so that you've got a slightly less um, wide set of um, scallop bits at the bottom I've gone for a different option. You're supposed to knit it on a 4mm needle, and I've gone down to a 3.25mm needle, partly because I think it's a thinner yarn than most sock yarns anyway. Um, certainly for 100 grams, you, don't, you get 520, I think, 530 yards. So it's thinner than a lot of fingering weight at that, at that, uh, that size. It looks nicer. The garter stitch section just looks so much nicer on a 3.25mm needle than it does on a 375 So that was the first thing I tried when I thought, well, I'll drop it down a bit. Someone else has made a damson with 400 yards off something on a 3.25mm needle and had a little bit left over. So I'm hoping that that's going to work for me too. I have got about... I've done all of the garter section and I've got about halfway through the scallops. So I've got the rest of the scallops to do... Um, you know, about another 16 rows maybe on that. And then I've got the loopy edging. Now, at the moment, on my cone of yarn, I seem to have quite a lot left. But, of course, I didn't weigh the cone before I started. I know there's 75 grams of yarn on there, but I don't know how much the cone weighs. Uh, how silly is that? So I can't actually take a measurement to see how roughly I'm doing. I heard somebody say, I think it was Brenda Dane over in Costa when she made hers, that she took about 65 grams for her edging out of her 100 grams so I'm hoping that I'm still going to be okay um, I shall be a bit cross if I end up desperately short um, 
because it is going to be a smallish damson, but I don't want... I don't, I don't like the effect when I go for a slightly bigger needle. Um, and I couldn't find a 3.5, and I was too lazy to go hunting around for it too much, so I went for the 3.25. And actually, I really like it. The yarn is to die for. I think I just said that before. I just adore it. It's so, so soft. And I'm seriously trying to work out how I can get more of this yarn in my life. And there is one person de-stashing about 1,300 yards of it. But it's in a light blue, which isn't really my colour. But I'm trying to think that maybe it doesn't matter that it's not my colour because it's just beautiful. It's just absolutely beautiful. It, it really is gorgeous. So there's the first of my ruby items to go along with my ruby um, anniversary episode. I'm also working on... Uh, I cast on yesterday and I've nearly finished now. I've got... Um, one and a half arms to do <laughs> and then stuff it and feature it. I'm working on a new bear for the Mother Bear Project. Dr Gemma over at the Cognitive Podcast has kicked off her Mother Bear knit-alongs. She kicked it off on the 1st of January. She's knit, that's knit-alongs going through till the February the 25th. And this bear has got a sort of a um, slightly ginger fur and is going to have a red dress um, I found some nice red. I think it's, I can't work out whether, I think it's probably Debbie Bliss Cash Merino. Um, but it might not be, it might be RYC. Uh, anyway, I've used two slightly different colours of it, I've realised. It looked fine last night under artificial light when I went to go and get some, uh, some more from the stash. But actually this morning in the cold light of day, you can see that the little legs on her knickers are uh, a different colour to the rest of her body. But I'm going to get around that when I, I'm going to knit a skirt on, um, which would look a bit different. But what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to mix. Um, I've been knitting two strands of the cashmerino. So when I actually come to knit the skirt, I'm going to knit one strand of the cashmerino and one strand of kilt silk aura in a red. So it's going to make it look more obvious that it's a different colour, but it will give it kind of a fluffy effect, um, which I thought would be rather attractive. So this bear is going to be called Ruby, and she's knit in the round, which is fantastic. Since I last knit some Mother Bear bears, um, Mother Bear has now published a knitting in the round pattern and a crochet in the round pattern. So I ordered both of those last weekend and was delighted when they arrived yesterday and cast on straight away. For those of you who are unfamiliar with the Mother Bear project, the aim is to provide bears for children in... Um, countries whose lives have been affected by HIV or AIDS. So they may be orphans, um, they've lost their parents to HIV AIDS, or they may suffer them from themselves. But these children generally have very little and certainly don't have the luxury and comfort of a teddy bear. So the Mother Bear Project aims to provide these children with a bear of their own. They're all knit or crocheted to the same pattern so that there is consistency um, ideally of size although I have to say I did notice in this pattern as I was knitting yesterday it says please don't make your bear more than 12 inches tall and the two that I made last year Otto and Coco are oh, about 15 inches I'm gutted so uh, never mind I mean this can't be helped now I just can't do anything about that um, but there, it's, it's an adaptation of a World War II teddy bear knitted pattern and um, they just get so much character as people knit them in different colours and put trousers on them or, you know, skirts or tops and it's just really nice. I'm going to put little um, poofy sleeves on Ruby uh, when I do her as well, so I'm quite excited by that. The Mother Bear project is based in Minneapolis 
And if you go onto the website, www.motherbearproject.org, you can order patterns. The patterns cost $5 a piece. For that, you get one pattern and one tag with which to attach your bear. You then, when you've finished it, mail it back to Minneapolis and... You can buy extra tags to go on your bears, and you ask that any additional bears you put in the box, you also include $3 US towards the shipping costs. Apparently, it costs around about $100 now for Mother Bear to post or, or to send the bears out to Africa in boxes of 50. So $100 for 50 bears um, covering everything else. So I actually made more of a... Um, a donation than was required. It's $5 for the pattern if you're based in America or if you're elsewhere in the world. They ask for an additional dollar. Um, well, I paid more than that because I'm in a position to be able to. And I thought, well, you know, it seems silly not to when I could. So I've got a little stash of labels and I'm going to see how many bears I do. I don't know how many I'm going to do. Dr. Gemma is running a 25 bear club and a 50 bear club and a, a 75 bear club. And of course, Mother Bear herself has the 100 bear club. Well, you know, I'm going to be lucky if I get to be a five bear club person. But um, I'm not too worried about it. She's, uh, I think her head's going to be a little big. Um, I've knit the right number of rows, but obviously my row gauge is off. So she's got a huge head, um, which wouldn't have been too much of a problem if I just carried on and made her in proportion. But obviously, having seen this thing that says try and keep the bears under 12 inches, she has a slightly proportionally larger head than she has everything else, and her legs look a bit stumpy. But, hey, I don't suppose anyone's going to worry too much, provided she looks adorable and cute. So that's... Uh, that's something else that I'm hoping that by the time I get this up and posted, which will probably happen tomorrow, editing and posting and uploading tomorrow, that she will be finished, that I'll have finished her arms and stuffed her and decorated her and done her skirt. So, but she's looking absolutely gorgeous. In terms of progress on woolsack cushions, um, I decided that they'd been hanging around too long. So I powered through last weekend, and as well as casting on the damson, I alternated with finishing off the back for the second of my um, three-colour cable cushion, and then seamed the two of them together. Um, and I've actually got them sort of temporarily stuffed with the old inside of um, old cushions, um, that I've taken out of their covers that we're not using at the moment and sort of stuffed them in so I could take some photographs. Of course, after I'd seen them, I'm sitting there thinking, that really does look quite... Why won't that fit Why won't that fit that cushion pad when that cushion pad's supposed to be a cushion pad for a 14-inch cushion? Uh-huh. And my gauge. I'd calculated my gauge. I'd measured it accurately in the pattern that I'd written. And I had you know, worked out the stitch count and everything else, and absolutely fine, apart from the fact that the, both neither the stitch count nor the row count I gave on the gauge that I'd written in the pattern, and indeed the gauge that I was hitting as I was knitting, were going to make me a cushion that was 16 inches square, which of course is the size that you need for the wool sack cushion. I don't actually think at any point when I made that first one, that was finished, remember, well before Christmas, it's only just the seaming that's required, I don't think at any point I actually measured it. I mean, how stupid can you get? How absolutely stupid can you get? Uh, you know, the maths is, is all fine, but it's just the numbers that I chose to make my cushion out of just don't work. 
you know, I'm, I'm so cross with myself. Absolutely furious. So anyway, I have altered the pattern. I have alerted the test knitter that if she does everything to gauge and follows it exactly, she will end up with a cushion that is smaller than 16 inches and not to panic and assume that Gage is lying to her. It's not. It's just that the pattern designer is obviously really, really, really stupid. <sighs> but there we are. Never mind. It's an interesting insight into how something that you think will be relatively straightforward is actually far more difficult to get right. And it just fills me full of admiration for the designers who do produce good, good quality, well-written well-tested patterns because this is a relatively simple pattern and I've managed to make a dog's dinner of it in terms of trying to write it up on several occasions but there we are never mind anyway they do look rather lush these cushions so I'll put pictures in the show notes and I've created project pages for them on Ravelry and I need to um, let Jane at the Woolsack um, so I actually have pictures of them because they're really rather gorgeous and as soon as um, my friend who was test knitting for me gets back with um, whether the actual written instructions are straightforward enough to follow I'm going to see if I can pass that pattern along to Jane and have her put it up on the website which will be rather cool I'd quite like to see if anyone else did it um, and what other colours they might choose so that's pretty much it for all my knitting um, in the last ten days I've spun quite a bit on that Cheviot. It's lovely to spin. I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm probably somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the way through the braid now. And I think what I've decided that I'm going to do is that I am going to um, ply it with a solid colour. I mean, I say solid. The ones that I've got actually don't quite go with it, and I want something paler than that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to dye up some um, British Blueface Leicester and dye it in a sort of a pale mauve, I think. Um, I haven't got any British Blueface Leicester undyed in my fibre stash, so I've ordered some. Um, and I wanted to keep it British simply because I think it is British Cheviot, and I thought it would be really nice to have this full British yarn. So I'm really looking forward to that. It's been spinning up really, really nicely. I'm still itching to get my fingers on the um, the punk fibre from um, John at Easy Knits. I misspelt it, by the way, last week. It is spelt normally P-U-N-K. I don't know why I thought there was a C in there at all. Um, obviously, you know, imagining it and uh, giving him too much credit for um, mucking around with spelling. And I really shouldn't because he's, you know, he's an intelligent man. He knows how to spell. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Can't wait, really. How exciting. They're doing, um, he's doing a spin love club, which is a fibre club. I've, never, I've been in sock clubs over the, the past few years, and I've talked about them before on the podcast, but I've never actually considered a fibre club. But it's really, like, quite good value. He's offering, it's £20 for, um, I think it's for UK residents, and for that you get 200 grams of fibre. And I think, from what I understand, the fibre is the same, but each one is dyed slightly differently. So it might be the same colours, but different combinations or different techniques of dyeing, so that you can end up with something that you could ply together if you wanted, or you could just treat it as two separates. If you sign up for three months of it on the trot, three consecutive months, then you can actually get your 600 um, grams of fibre for £50, which, to me, seems quite a bargain. 
you know, fan-dyed stuff. But there we are. That's just me. So I'm trying to resist the urge because I don't need any more fibre. Do I? <laughs> I have to laugh. I was listening to, I was catching up with them um, episodes and listening to um, Electric Sheep's stash, uh, stash Down 2012 episode, um, which is the, the latest one that was up, where she talks about trying to sort of organise your stash so that you can use it. Um, which I actually thought was really good. I did something very similar before Christmas myself. I haven't quite got to the point where I've put the yarn that's already earmarked for projects in zippy bags with the pattern, but I think that's a really sensible way to go about it. But all the way through when I was listening to it, I was laughing at the idea that um, you know we were all sitting there vowing that we were going on a yarn diet and we weren't going to buy anything. I have a disposable income. I'm in a really, really lucky position in my life that I have a disposable income. And I feel, <laughs> I feel duty-bound. I feel duty-bound to support small businesses. Small, yarny businesses need my support. Can you hear that? Can you hear that sound? That's the sound of someone justifying their spending. Oh, well, never mind, eh? Anyway, on to the review. I have finally now dipped into the fleece and fiber source book that wonderful book i was given at christmas by my parents it is just lush i actually think i will be sitting down at some point to read it cover to cover i haven't done that yet i've i've sort of used it more as a dip in book but it's absolutely brilliant it's written by deborah robson and carol Icarius. i hope that's how you pronounce her name they're two americans and they have sort of systematically gone through as many fibre animal fibres as they can in the research for this book. They've not gone and used secondary sources. They have actually um, gone to the primary source where at all possible and prepared some fleece, tried dyeing it, tried spinning it, knitted with the results, woven with the results to make lots of samplers that they've then taken photographs of and give you lots and lots of information. It's really, really good. It's published by Story Publishing and is retails for $35 US or £25 sterling. There's a really, really, really interesting section that mentions all of the language and words that are associated with handling fibre. Words that you might not know um, the meaning of that you come across but not quite sure where they are. Words like grist and kemp. Um, which I've already found really, really helpful. There's breed-specific information where they have grouped the breeds together in sort of families or groups that are related. There's photographs of the breeds. Um, as I said, clear photographs of the raw fibre locks, um, flick locks, washed, uh, and then spun, um, and then a finished product with the, the spun few yards so it's really really interesting and um, I actually picked it up the, the day that I picked it up first have a look at it at the weekend it fell open at Cheviot which I had to smile at because of course that's what I'm currently spinning with but it's been really really interesting to to read their thoughts and opinions and and you know, sort of what their experience is of handling it. And, I mean, I just love my sheep. I want some sheep. I want some sheep. Um, but they don't just deal with sheep. They're, uh, they cover alpaca and all the rest of the camelids. Um, they look at goats. There's even a little section on spinning dog and cat hair. But, you know, I, I'm, I think that they possibly are of the same opinion that I am, which is that 
just because you can do something doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Um, and I would query how attractive something spun from cat hair would be. Um, you've got to groom your cat an awful lot, haven't you, to get that? But, you know, there we are. It, really, really informative um, and really interesting. The opening section's actually got a, a bit about as much history as people know about the transition between wearing animal skins to actually making cloth, making fibre and then cloth, and that they feel that that first fibres and cloths were actually made from plants, not from animals. Um, and that because obviously these materials didn't survive the way stone um, axe heads might, that, that that's why that it looks as if Neolithic man spent all his time out there chasing animals and killing them and that women didn't really do much other than provide children but there are is increasingly archaeological evidence that that's not the case and it's just really really interesting they're talking that that you know we're, we're talking possibly nine thousand years since sheep have been domesticated um seven thousand years since alpaca have been domesticated so you're looking at, at the rich, rich heritage of all of those um, fibre animals and what they could be used for. There's also a really, really interesting section about why wool itches and all the different things that it can be that gives you that prickle factor before you actually get to the wool itself, which is really, really interesting. One of the reasons that people might react so much to um, Angora, apparently is because it's quite full of bunny spit. Do you know that? You see, you're just, you're not going to look at that. You're really not going to look at that Angora sweater in the same light again, are you now? I'm sorry if I've ruined it for you, that it's just full of bunny spit. <laughs> sorry. But, it, no, absolutely fascinating book. If you are at all interested in... Um, breed-specific yarn, whether that's in spinning it or just working with it, then I would really, really, really recommend this book. It was also really, really interesting to read in there about the Rowan British breeds wool that is available. Um, that Rowan has trumpeted this British breeds wool, but actually, although it's named after five British breeds, it's got it's five colours or five types that are, breeds that are mentioned with the exception of the Blueface Leicester which is probably made predominantly from Blueface Leicester because it's got a different feel and look to all the rest they are much more likely to be blended yarns made from those breeds but blended in different quantities to make the whites and the, the browns and the greys which is really really interesting just because they've named the colour after a breed don't take that to mean with the Rowan that you have got that breed in your ball of yarn. Isn't that interesting? Absolutely fascinating. Anyway, well, well worth a look. If you can't get hold of a copy, see if your library's got one that you can have a look and dip into. Really, really interesting. That's the Fleece and Fibre Sourcebook by Deborah Robson and Carol Icarius by Story Publishing. Moving on to something I really like, I'm actually going to, to pick something that's really hard to pinpoint, but it's about this idea of the whole different international feel of the yarn community that we have now. 
through podcasting and Ravelry and all those other features. And I don't know, it's like we're in this really, really, really big family. We don't necessarily get to see each other, but we've all got this shared interest. And it's this idea of making connections and, if you like, knitting us all together, which sounds very cheesy. And I do apologise for that. But I think it was, what, what was this? In the last episode, I did exhort you all to go and put a pin in the listener's map. Please, I begged you, please, please go and put a pin in the listener's map. And when I went over this week to have a look, indeed, lots of you had, and I was absolutely delighted. And, you know, there's more people now pinned in in Europe, and there's more people pinned in in Northern America, and there's more people pinned in in Britain, and there's more people pinned in in Australia. And then I saw Safety Fox. Hello, Safety Fox. I have to say hello to Safety Fox, because Safety Fox has put her pin in in Doha. Now I know where Doha is, but I bet there's a whole load of you who don't. Doha is the capital of Qatar, which is um, a Gulf state. It's a little tiny peninsula on the side of Saudi Arabia. And it is relatively new to its wealth and status in the world. Up until about 40 years ago, it's entire economy was based on pearl diving really um, but then the discovery of um, natural gas off its course and I think there's um, petroleum as well has meant that it's become quite a, a rich nation and from the little that I know um, that wealth has been devolved across the Qatari people as a whole um, so that they are, by and large, a very wealthy nation. What's very interesting about them is that they are, are an awful lot of people living there who are not Qatari. Um, there's obviously a, a, quite a big white expat community, um, British, Australian, American. Um, there's a big Indian community there. But there's also a lot of other Arabic nations who work there and live there but don't necessarily actually come originally from Qatar, which is really, really interesting. The reason that I know this is that about, th well, three years ago, three years ago this week, actually, I visited um, Qatar. It became the first country that I had ever visited that was not of a, a white Western um, culture. And it was really, really interesting. Four of us from my school, um, along with six other teachers from our local authority, went on a British Council-arranged exchange trip. Um, we actually thought we were going to see how they were tackling boys under achievement and see what we could apply to our own situation. As it turned out, they were much more, or the Qatari schools were much more in the view that they were going to find out from us how we were tackling boys under achievement. Um, but it was just fascinating, nevertheless, to see um, a different culture and to see schools in a different culture. Um, we visited two middle schools, um, boys' middle schools. Other teachers who were there from other authorities were visiting girls' middle schools because they were looking to see how the um, use of ICT was integrated in their learning. It was absolutely fascinating and... I would really, really, really like at some point the chance to go back. We did a little bit of sightseeing because the schools generally operate from 7 in the morning till 1 in the afternoon. We would go and finish at 1 
and then we would have the afternoons and evenings free. Um, we had to do some follow-up work from our research, if you like, and our visits, but we also had time to do a little bit of exploring. Um, so one afternoon we took our life in our hands and went um, dune bashing, which was an experience to remember. It was one of those ones that, you know, you're really glad you've done it, but you never have any intention of ever doing it again. It's probably the only time in my adult life that I have seriously regretted not writing a will. <laughs> I know that sounds a little dramatic, doesn't it? But um, if I can uh, find it, I might um, upload the little clip that I took on my camera, the video clip that I took on my camera from it there. It's an awful lot of squealing. Um, grown women squealing is never an attractive sound. Unless, of course, it's squealing over yarn. Um, but this wasn't. Um, another afternoon we went to the souk and um, I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head and because I'm not at home I can't go and, and look it up but it was the, the old souk in the old quarter of Doha really really fascinating I would have loved to have visited the Islamic Art Museum um, but we just didn't have time for it the, on the last day that we were there the cultural highlight of going to visit the villaggio was... Um, was exhorted instead of going to see, you know, an art museum, because hey, I'm just a freak, you know, because I like art galleries and things like that, um, rather than shopping centres. I have to say the highlight of going to visit the Villaggio shopping centre, which is something quite well. Having now visited Las Vegas and the Bellagio, I can see exactly where it draws its inspiration from. Um, what I can say in its uh, favour is it is air conditioned and very, very roomy. Um, never did I expect in a desert state to come across an ice rink uh, or indeed motorised gondolas on the canals going through the middle of the shopping centre. But the uh, personal highlight for my colleague, Joe, and myself was to actually go into the supermarket. I love going to supermarkets in other countries because it's really, really interesting to see what things are on the shelves. I'm sure that's not quite what they intended for you know, people when they visited the... Villaggio, I'm sure they were much more thinking about seeing the Koenigsegg, um, as they would say, on Top Gear. Those are, you know, very expensive cars, of which there was one. Um, it also remains the only time in my life that I have seen a Bugatti Veyron, which uh, I understand retails for over £1 million. Um, that was also in Qatar. But it, absolutely fascinating, a really, really, really interesting experience. So when I saw that Safety Fox had put her pin in, um, on my listeners map in Doha I was absolutely delighted delighted to see someone putting their pin in from somewhere other than uh, Western Europe Britain Northern America and Australia and just delighted that it happened to be um, Doha so hello Doha this is Northwich calling <laughs> anyway that's certainly my something, it's a very long-winded way of saying that my something I really like today is this sense of connectedness that the internet now gives us, that you don't feel like you are the only person that you know, even if you're not the only person you know in real life in its anyway, but you are now no longer knitting or crafting in isolation. So... Before I wrap this up for today, there are just a couple of things that I'd like to, to remind you of. If you are at all interested in knitting for the Mother Bear Project, please go and check them out at www.motherbearproject.org. 
if you're in Britain and you have access to some British wool and you have the time to knit your uh, a 16 inch square cushion or to crochet one or to weave one or to felt one for the wool sack project please 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 do so I would love it if you haven't got a stuffing event near you please contact me you can post it to me and I will be more than happy to stuff it for you at our stuffing event in April more details on the Woolsack project can be found at www.woolsack.org follow the links through on the show notes I love to hear feedback from you it's been delightful I've set up a, a little thread on the group I'm trying to sort of get more people involved in banter on the group we're quite a quiet sedate group I think partly that's because I don't get over there very often but I've started a thread called show us your works in progress so thanks a lot to uh, people who have shown what's going on at the moment we've uh, had some comments from uh, Orangina and poked a goblin so and I'm sure somebody else has put over there as well but I can't remember who they are at the moment so absolute apologies for that but go on show us what you're working on come and join in and be part of the community I'm trying to widen this community out so there's more of us taking part thank you for those people who have dropped by to comment on my cushions over the last couple of days um, really glad to to see that some of you are back listening again I know that there were some problems last year with the sound and I hope that this year this particular episode notwithstanding that the sound quality has been much more to your liking um, it's great to see you all if you would like to leave a comment on the show please 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 do so you can leave a comment at the podbean site at the blogspot site you can leave a comment over in the ravelry group you can pm me on ravelry where i am tales from the plane you can tweet me where i'm tales from plane or you can drop me an email at yarns from the plane at googlemail.com so I'm seriously contemplating whether tonight's tea is going to be a Ruby Murray. Oh, sorry. Did you hear that pun? I'm really, really sorry. But seriously, we might well be going out for a Ruby tonight. If you don't know what one of those is, it's rhyming slang. See if you can work it out. Till then, take care. Bye. You've been listening to Yarns from the Plain. Show notes and links are available at the Yarns from the Plain show page at Yarns from the Plain. If you'd like to contact the show, you can leave a comment over there on the show page, or you can email me at yarnsfromtheplane at googlemail.com, or message me on Ravelry, where I'm Tales from the Plane. Until next time, take care, and thanks for listening. <laughs>